0: Welcome to the Watermark OC. Church podcast. Thank you for listening. Here's the big idea that I want to communicate this morning. Here it is. You have been called, you have been gifted, and you have been sent. You've been called, gifted, and sent. Every single one of us has been called. We've been invited into something. We've been gifted. We've been given the tools and equipment, and we've been sent to go to a place on a mission. For Jesus and that his kingdom would go forward. That's the big idea this morning. Called, tapped on the shoulder like Elisha was, gifted, you've been given the equipment, and you've been sent to go forth. What is the explanation here? Let's look at, let's look at 1 Corinthians for a second. Check this out. This is the thing about gifts. We're going to talk about gifts this morning a little bit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. I'll say it again, verse 7. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. In case you were wondering this morning, am I a gifted person? Am I really chosen? Have I really been commissioned? I'm here to encourage you, yes, you have been. This is a promise from God. Every single one of us has been gifted. Notice the common denominator is the Holy Spirit. He's the one that gets the credit, He's the one that that supercharges each and every one of us. But the question, the challenge question is right now where we're at, do we own, sharpen, and unleash those gifts out into the world? And if not, why are we filled with such trepidation? What's holding us back? Thats what I want to talk about this morning. So let's get into the actual second um, king's passage. We're going to look at verse seven. There's this idea, the power of the mantle, or the cloak. We're going to come back to this idea of cloak. Let's find out what the heck is he talking about cloak. Okay? Verse seven. Fifty men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Verse eight. Then Elijah folded his, folded his cloak. Together and struck the water with it. The river divided, and the two of them went across on dry ground. What the heck is going on with this cloak? This magical Harry Potter jacket? What are we talking about? What's happening? Is it just a magical thing? Is it just superpowers? Is it just God or the Holy Spirit? Just you know, is that the whole point? Is that all it is? Well, let's talk practically first. Uh, it was most likely some kind of animal skin, a robe of sorts, or a cloak, a jacket. Uh, that's probably not news to you, but here's the part that I want to drive home this morning. In this first section, you've been called. The cloak has been placed around your shoulders and my shoulders, just like it was for Elisha when he was plowing the field that day. The cloak—that is the responsibility and the authority. That's what I want you to hear and see when I use this word "cloak." When, when, when the Scripture says "cloak," that's what it's talking about. Every single one of us, you guys, has been implicated. I am here to remind you of how you've been implicated this morning in this passage. Each and every one of us has a responsibility and an authority because of what God has invested into us with his Holy Spirit. But do we understand that? How many of us walk around really believing that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you and me? How many of us walk around believing that, acting that way? I will tell you as a father of five, I don't. I don't. Because I think most of the time I can just deal it on my own power. I can have enough patience because I'll just have enough willpower. No. My tank is empty at the end of the day if I try and do it that way. I need to be, the, be supercharged with the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And more importantly... More importantly, the first question I have for you is, do you understand the responsibility and authority that's been invested in in all of us here who have said yes to Jesus? More importantly, do, do you understand the historical significance of what's taking place there? Are you seeing the reference? Where have we heard that before? They walked across on dry ground. Where have we read that before? Exodus. That's right. Exodus 14. Exodus 14, and then the Israelites walked through on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on the left. My challenge for us, you guys, is why are we walking around believing that that work is done? That God no longer has control over the waves and the seas and the winds and the elements of nature? Why have we pretended that that is done? One of my favorite passages, one of my favorite passages from the Gospels is, is Matthew 8. Um, they're, they're, they're on the boat, and, um, you know, the waves are coming against the side of the boat. They're coming over. They're taking on water quick. There is uh, a level three type storms coming at them. And, and what is Jesus doing but sleeping on the boat? I won't go down that rabbit trail. I can't even tell you. I don't know. But he's on the boat there with them in this instance. And then finally he comes to, the disciples are freaking out, they're freaking out. They have the Son of God laying at their feet, and they're freaking out because of the waves coming over the edge of the boat, the winds are coming on strong, and and Jesus comes to, and and he calms the storms, and I love it. I love what the disciples say next. They, They say, who is this man that dictates the waves and the winds? Who is this man that has authority over the wind and the waves? Who is this man? It's such a wonderful thing for me because up to this point in the gospel story, in this version, back here with the disciples, he's exercising authority over this, that, and the other thing. Physical ailments, your body, head to toe, taken care of. I exercise authority over that. Uh, The enemy, the the, the evil one, Satan, the devil, his his occupation and his, his agenda in the world, I've taken authority over that. I've cast out demons I have authority over that. Now they're going to get in a boat. And just in case you were wondering if there was some connection with the God who made the heavens and the earth, he gets on a boat and then he's going to dictate what the wind and the waves do. You guys, the encouragement to today is that the power of that mantle, of that cloak, is the same that each one of us has today. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the cloak is. And so the gift of the Holy Spirit came later. Well, we believe that Holy Spirit and God and Jesus stand outside of time. That's a that's a theological reality that we subscribe to. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, and God, you know, the Trinity, they stand outside time. So even though the Holy Spirit came later as a gift to us in the New Testament, the Spirit of God was on Elijah, just like it was on Elisha in this mantle. The same thing exists for us today, you guys. We have to hear that. So what's your cloak? What's your cloak? What's the leadership mantle that God has thrown across your shoulders? Uniquely, specifically, individually for you. What is that cloak? What's he calling you to? He has called you. And he's gifted you. Look at this as we go on to verse 9. He has gifted you. This is what it says in verse 9. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken away. And Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I'm taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. Tough deal. All right, 50-50. It's black and white. Verse 11. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them. And Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. The thing I want to dial in here, there's lots of imagery. Okay, that's, that's one way to go, isn't it? That's one heck of a way to go, Elijah. We wonder why he keeps coming up. He's kind of, an, he's kind of a big deal. Um, but I want to focus on this, this, this double portion part here the double portion. What's going on there? What is he requesting? The first thing is a, is, a, um, is a cultural difference. When we read double portion, we think to ourselves, math. We think in our modern Western frame of mind, we think formula. We think compounding interest. We think multiplication. We think in this numerical value. For the Hebrew mindset, it wasn't so. It wasn't the same idea. And practically speaking, what he was most likely requesting is, may I have, since you're departing from this earth, may I have yours along with mine? May I be supercharged with that, with that spirit of God that was on you. May I, may I have that. And, and, and let, me just, let me just tell you, um, I'm going to give you a secret. Because a lot of people pray this way. I myself is, have even prayed this way. God, when I'm praying over my kids, God, give them a, whatever I have. Whatever minuscule piece that I have, God. Let my kids, let my sons and daughters have a double portion. Whatever it is, Jesus, let them do greater things than I could ever do. Let them be a part of something bigger than I could ever be. And I pray in that mathematical way, but, but there's a secret here of what's going on behind the surface as we allude to what happens when Jesus comes. And this is what it says. Look at John 16, verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is on the, the eve of Jesus' departure. He's going to go, and he's still trying to get these disciples to wrap their heads around, what do you mean you're going, Jesus? What do you, what, where are you going? And take us with you. And what's going on? And he says the advocate, which is the Holy Spirit. But even in this verse, are we making sense of this, the, the, the Spirit of God that we see in 2 Kings, and then we see here in John 16? Well, why, why must he go? He's, he's the Son of God. He could do anything. What's Jesus saying here? And I want to give you probably not a suitable uh, analogy, but I think it it is part of the meaning behind this passage. Um, We've all heard that saying, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Fonder. There's a lot of different ways you could flub that phrase, and it'll come out really ridiculous. Absence makes the heart grow fonder." fonder. That is a tongue twister. I feel like I'm reading a Dr. Seuss book to my kids again. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Well, guess what? There's a great theory out there that says um, part of having Jesus right there in front of the disciples is part of what had them fumbling around because they were almost distracted by the presence of God right in front of them. They couldn't make sense. And yet he had to go for them to understand their answers and explanations and the reasons why of what he was talking about and what he was pointing to. And of course, not only did they not have him there as a a crutch, so to speak, constantly going to him, Father, Jesus, Rabbi, Teacher, help me understand. And and it was only then, after he was gone, and after the Holy Spirit, the Advocate, was sent, they could be brought to full understanding and appreciation of what God wanted to do in their lives and in the world. It's the same for us. When you read double portion, I want you to read, the fullness of God already extended to you and me as Christ followers. That's what the double portion is. It's the fullness of God that you and I have already received the day we cross the line of faith. And yet there's a challenge. A lot of us have a hang up. We're talking about the fact you've been called. And I want to remind you, you've been gifted. You've been tremendously, amazingly gifted. And how many of us at one point or another have been optimistic about the fact that we could use our gifting to help someone, to impact someone? to change their whole outlook, to see life change in them. At one point or another, every one of us have have latched onto that hope that we could be a part of that in, in our lives or the lives of others around us, that we could impact them with our gifts, using our gifts. There's a huge obstacle and it has to do with the way our minds work. There's a dear friend and a leader here at the church named Mark. Mark, um, every chance he gets when we get together, he tells me about the neuroscience behind life change. He's a Christian guy. He understands that there's neuroscience and then there's the Holy Spirit. When these things come together, it can really, really mess you up in the best way possible for actually making life change, being a part of that in your life. But it all starts with the way you think. And what he, what he says every time you get with him, he's excited to tell you about his new research. And what he says is that we have this little thing. When you look at the neuroscience, we have this thing called the default mindset. Every single one of us. This is in the unconscious programming side of our brain. Every person has this. He also goes on to say that like 94% of that is unconscious of our brain. There's like a 4% that we're doing and we're actively participating. In. There's a 94% that is unconscious part of our brain. Part of that is this default mindset. Another way of looking at it is a victim mindset. This part of our brain says, we're less than, we're not enough, we're unloved, we're unsupported, and we are inadequate. The brain is hardwired to do that. They can see this by looking at brain scans. They can see that's actually the reflection of how this person is wired. And then to add insult to injury, we don't we don't just stop there and say we're not good enough and we suck and we're inadequate and we have not been commissioned and we have not been called and we have not been gifted. We have a the brain has a running commentary going on behind the scenes the whole time, saying you're right, you're so right, you do suck, man, you haven't been gifted, you have not been called. The whole time we're feeding to ourselves, and there's like a second voice that comes in and says, yeah, look how less than you are, you were so unloved. It's vicious. The brain is a savage. It's such a savage. But there's hope. Because this is exactly, my friend Mark likes to remind me, this is exactly what Romans 12.2 is talking about when it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you think that when I'm up here and Bucky's up here and any other preacher, teacher, pastor's up here speaking, and we're thinking, you're just going to go from point A to point B, man. Life change engaged. No, there's a step before that that says change the way you think. And just like the brain scan has showed how people reinforce negative thought, and and negative self-image, and and make themselves a victim, there is literally a brain scan, you guys, that reflects those people who believe that's not true. Hello, can you see that science reinforces a very good and sovereign God in the world? Can you see that the Holy Spirit can be reflected on a brain scan? Yes, it absolutely can. And that's the whole point of renewing our minds. That's the whole point of engaging with our gifts, is to understand that you guys have been incredibly gifted, and you've been incredibly... uh, empowered and emboldened by the Holy Spirit to go forth with the work that God set out for us to do. So every one of us has been gifted. We've been called, we've been gifted, and we've been sent into the world to use those gifts. What does that look like as we, as we study Elisha's next steps? Verse 13. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And the river divided, and Elisha went across. What is the first thing that Elisha does? What's the first thing he does? He takes action. He takes action. And you can too. I want to put up a slide right here, right now. This is practical, next steps type of stuff. If you're coming here this morning, and you've just forgotten or lost sight of your gifting, or maybe you never heard before that you're gifted, Or remember, you didn't know what to do with those gifts. You think you have a passion or a talent or a strength, but you didn't know what to do next. Take a picture of the slide right now. Or get your phone out and text it to yourself. Or or if you're taking notes, write it down on a piece of paper. I want to give you a practical next step. You can take action today. Take action today. I'm not going to go through each one of these, but I do want to highlight a couple very important things. To know your gifts. Yes, very relevant starting place. Go ahead and find out where's your gifting. That's awesome. Go ahead and start right there. Don't doubt it. You're gifted. You're gifted. You got at least one. I love how the thing all tactfully, tactfully has the S in parentheses. You got at least one, okay? Now, letter B, we should never neglect our gifts. You know what, what is one of the biggest crying shames that I get to see when I sit with people? And I'm talking about that empty chair next to us earlier this morning. I'm talking about the next generation. I'm talking about the next generation. Last last week I tried to positively encourage everyone in this room that I think our greatest asset is not the building, it's not the band, definitely not the guy with the microphone. It is you. It is you, spiritually mature and, and nearly fully developed disciples. I want to see, we want to see, Bucky and I and our staff and our leadership want to see you unleashed on the next generation. Why am I talking about the next generation again? Not just to talk about the seat. I'm telling you, you guys, what happens statistically is that those who are 18 to 28, they go away from the church. They've been raised in the church all their life. They turn 18. The statistics say that 60% of those young people leave the church for a decade. What happens with them in that decade of decisions? That's a whole other thing. What I want to talk about, what about the wasted potential of their gift that lays dormant and is not used in the local church? That's the thing that grieves me. How many millennials and young people and next generation people I sit with and I hear their story and I hear how gifted they are, how creative they are. They could be in the band, they could be doing music, they could be doing media, they could do all these things. And yet because of whatever reason, their butts are not in these seats. And their gift is laying dormant. Don't hear what I'm not saying. As much as they have, the onus is on them, the mantle is on them to say yes and to come check this thing out again. I'm putting it on you and me. As the leaders to bring them to, to lead them to a place so that their gift may no longer lay dormant. I wanna emphasize that. We're called to stir them up, to be zealous about our gifts. And we're to use those gifts in love, serving one another. What's the second thing that Elisha does? What's the second thing he does? He goes into action, he takes the cloak, okay, he takes the cloak and he taps it to the water. That's the first thing that he does. And the river divided. What's the second thing he does? He gets moving. He gets moving. This is a man on mission. This is someone who has been sent. And, um... It's ironic because to sing a song about floods and rain was, was, was not intentional given the season of what's going on in Houston. And my, 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 my allusion to, to um, Matthew 8 and, and the waves and the wind, uh, is, it was not an accident. These, these were not our intentional plan to focus on that, but this is the word that God had for us this weekend. And I do want to highlight something as I think about Houston, as I think about being sent and the way that God is calling you to be sent. I have a couple friends. Um... The the, the cap offs Sean and his wife Kelsey they have two young children they got a toddler two and a half three years old and like a, a nearly one year old he happens to, to have a nonprofit that does water filtration these guys fools as they are they are fools in my opinion decide to take their toddlers their two babies the two of them just one on one the four of them and go to Houston to make sure that people who don't have potable water can have some clean water I'm just sitting back watching that like what are they doing. That's not going to work with kids. How are you going to do both? You can't do both well. They're taking their kids on mission, building into the next generation and understanding that they're sent. How about Manny? Manny is our tech guy, if you didn't know. Manny's our tech guy. We get a text message from him in two weeks. Sorry, guys, I'm going to Houston. be out for a couple weeks. I'm to sure to get it covered, but I'm going to be out for a couple weeks. My question to us is, do you think that either of these people, I didn't see it in them at least, do you think that either of these people said, um, maybe I should go only if I'm an engineer? Or, or, or I should only go if I'm in government. Or maybe I should only go if I have enough resources. No. They said, I am sent with all that I am and all that I have right here, right now. I have the equipping to go and be used by God. I am sent. And I want to do something about it. You guys, I just, as the band comes up and, and, and we enter in a time of communion, I, the, the probing question here is, what is your River Jordan? When they were sent, they walked across. They walked across to get there. Elijah goes and then Elisha touches the cloak to the water and walks back across on dry ground because he is going in action and he is sent. There was one more story from Houston that was one of my favorite ones. This guy, they call him Mattress Mac. You probably read his story. Jim McInvale, the guy who owns these furniture stores, at least two of them, that are these huge commercial industrial buildings. And he invites folks in. They're raised so it was relatively unaffected by the water. And he invites all of these refugees, victims of the flood, into his building in space. On his, the, the, hello, the one guy's main job is to make sure that his furniture can be in good shape for sale. And he's going to invite people off the street, looking how they look, bringing how, what they bring, you know, soggy, into his store, onto his stuff. The one purpose that his store exists and as the papers were interviewing them, they said it could cost roughly $30,000 to $40,000 to keep the store up and running during this time. And oh, by the way, we've got Labor Day coming up tomorrow. What's he going to do about all the Labor Day sales? He's not kicking them out. They have a place at Mattress Mike's store. He was quoted saying to the paper, I'm part capitalist and I'm part social worker. That's what it means to be sent. You and I might not own a mattress store. We might not own a company at all, but, but we work. Whether it's in the home or whether it's out in the workplace, we have, a, we have influence and we have circles of influence and we have a circle that God has drawn around our lives that we can be sent into. I have no idea where this guy falls as, as far as Jesus following, but I'll tell you, that is gospel. That is the gospel manifest in that community in Houston, the way he's living it. The way he's exercising his sent if you will. It's a tremendous thing. What God does, and, and the rains come, and the floodwaters rise. And, and like the song that we sang earlier said, that your love, that your love, let your love come, that your promises come like a flood, like a flood. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not suggesting, oh, God punishes, and God sends this to send a message about, oh, how bro. No. No, but he does use all things to show us something, teach us something. The love of Mattress Mike is then made manifest. The love of Manny, the love of the cap-offs is made manifest because of a response to a disaster. Is it possible in God's upside-down kingdom, in the upside-down world that is the gospel, that is Jesus following, that tragic things can be turned into opportunities for tremendous love and sentness to be sent in that way? Every single one of us has that opportunity. We have been called. The cloak has been thrown across our shoulders. And in that cloak has been a tremendous gifting. It's filled with a specific and unique gift that only you can exercise in your way. And we have been called and gifted to be sent to go forth. And so what I want to say is, as we, as we sing this last song and we go into a time of communion, I encourage you, um, the communion is here at the front and in the back corners, That's what I love about communion. The communion communion table is the fact of of his love being washed over us like a flood. Total forgiveness, total reconciliation. We have been reconciled through his blood and through his body broken for us. And it is also a charge of being sent to take action and to be sent. As you go to the table, ask those questions. How was God asking me to apply What am I gifted in? And where is God telling me that I am sent? Ask those questions as we go into communion. That's what I would pray. Let's pray together. Jesus, I just thank you so much, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for these people, God, at Watermark. Thank you for their gifting. Thank you that you sent them here, Lord, so that we could be built up and then we could go forth and reach those who are not yet sitting next to us. Reach those in our neighborhoods and our families and our workplace, God. Thank you that you've equipped us with everything that we need to see that that good work happens, God. Thank you. But Jesus, now I do pray for the boldness and the courage to have that conversation, to offer that prayer, to offer that invitation. Whatever it is, God, you're calling us to take action and to be sent. Be with us in that, God. For those who are feeling spiritually dry this morning, for those who are feeling broke down, for those who are feeling like they need rain just as, a, 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 as life-giving water to their soul, God, when they come to the table, would they feel the fullness of that, Jesus? Thank you so much, God, for what you've done. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your body. In Jesus' name, amen. To find out more about us, go online to watermarkoc.church.